Good morning. I finally learnt the lesson to take my mask off before putting on the microphone. It's less of a Harry Houdini act required. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Aaron, uh, and I'm one of the elders here at Grace Church. And it's, it's fantastic to be together, to worship together. Now, I think probably all of us in this room have at some point offered this one piece of advice. And all of us have received this one piece of advice that I'm going to say in a moment. But at the same time, these words of advice that I'm going to say in a moment, and you're wondering what they are, are completely and utterly useless. So this piece of advice that we've all said, that we've all heard, is don't worry about it. When I've been consumed by worry, and somebody has said to me, don't worry about it. I think in all my 40 years of being on this earth, I have never gone, oh, I didn't think about that. You've solved all my problems. I just won't worry about them. You might as well say, I wouldn't worry about it if I was you, because I'm not you. It's totally unhelpful. When we're worried, in order to stop worrying, we need solid reasons not to worry. Throwaway dismissals of our concerns don't help at all. We need reasons for why we don't have to worry, which is what we're going to be hearing from Jesus this morning in the section of Luke that we'll be looking at. So if you could turn with me to Luke 12, we're going to read verses 22 to 34. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these." But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in, hev in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now we see here that Jesus begins with the words 
And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you. Meaning he's referring to, he's linking back to the passage before. He says, and therefore. So just by way of reminder, I'm going to quickly read verses 16 to 21, which Steve preached on last week. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So the context that we're reading this morning's passage in is set against the story of a man who had put all his energies, all his time, all his efforts into acquiring wealth only to die before he got to enjoy it. The point being that instead of investing his time into loving, into obeying, into following God, he invested it into temporary selfish pleasures, which led ultimately to an eternity in poverty, which is where Jesus begins this morning. This is his kind of foundation that he's building on. He's saying, therefore, don't be like this rich fool, consumed with what you'll eat, with what you're going to wear, with how much money you've got. So this morning, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at six reasons that Jesus gives in this passage that we're not to worry about these things. And of course, as we've seen, the context here is specifically about material possessions and about money, food, clothing, which is something that I personally battle with. I, I, I can have anxiety about finances, but we're all different. For example, every single month when I open my credit card bill, I can see that Tash doesn't worry so much about finances, but she does worry about other things. And I think the reasons that we're going to look at this morning that Jesus gives for us not to worry about material things actually are applicable no matter what it is that we worry about. Because when we worry, the root of it is so often a lack of faith in God. Whether we worry about finances or whether we worry about our health, whether we worry about relationships... The rich fool clearly was concerned about gaining as much wealth as he could because he believed that in gaining treasure here on earth, it would somehow be of greater value than storing it in heaven. He lacked faith in God. Equally, if we spend our, our, our lives worried about a particular relationship or, or like I say, about our health or whatever it is, then we're not trusting that Jesus is sufficient for all of our needs. So even if it's not money, it's not possessions, it's not a lack of these things that gives you sleepless nights, if you worry about anything, then like I say, these reasons that Jesus gives this morning, I think will still be helpful for you. So we find the first reason in verse 23. For life is more than food, and the body 
more than clothing. Now here Jesus is, is clearly telling us that the purpose of life, the reason that we exist, is not about the food that we eat. It's not about the clothes that we wear or the money that we have in our bank account, which I think begs the question, well, what is it about? Well, Jesus answers this in the first half of verse 31, a few verses on. After talking about why we shouldn't be concerned about money, food, stuff, he says this. Instead, seek his kingdom. Our number one priority should, of course, not be on the here and now. All things on this earth are going to pass away. Our 70, 80, 90 years, however long it is we get on this earth, these are less than minuscule compared to eternity, not even a billionth of a percent. So it stands to reason that we shouldn't be investing our time and our effort and our hope in such temporary things. Now supposing you had 10,000 dirhams and you wanted to invest it and, and you met up with a, a financial advisor and, and he said to you, I've got, I've got two saving plans that you can put your 10,000 dirhams into. Now in the first one, this is a good one, you're going to double your money every single month for a year. It's going to be great. It's going to be a good year as you watch your kind of your 10,000 become 20,000, become 40,000, become 80,000. You're going to be quite pleased about that. But then he tells you there's a catch with this one though. At the end of the year, all of the money that you have in that account, including your initial deposit, well actually we as a bank we're just going to take that back from you. You'll have nothing left. It'll all be gone. Hopefully, anybody who's got a little bit of financial savvy would be like, okay, tell me about the second plan that you have. Now, in this one, he'd tell you, in the first year, it's going to be a bit rough. Your account is going to go up and it's going to go down. You're going to be really tempted to take your money out. It's going to be a battle not to take your money out. But no matter what, your money will be safe. Even though, as you look at your account, you go online and check your statements, it's not looking good. It will be safe. But then after the first year, there's a guarantee that you're going to receive 1,000% interest every day, forever. Everything you could ever want or everything you could ever need will be yours. This is the starkness of the choice that we are facing when we decide how it is we're going to invest our lives. We can chase the quick buck of comfort, here and now, money, whatever it is, knowing that this will ultimately lead to destruction, or we can invest our time, our energy, everything that we have into the things of God, which bring with it an eternal inheritance. So let's seek his kingdom. Let's soak in his word. Let's chase after him in prayer. Let's tell those around us the good news of what he has done for us so that they can share in it too. And I think it's worth clarifying that when Jesus says seek the kingdom, when we seek the kingdom, what we're not doing is we're not earning a place in the kingdom. We read this in Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
It's a gift from God, paid for by the blood of Jesus at the cross. Now, this must always be our starting point. As we see and we experience God's gift of grace, seeking God's kingdom won't be a chore. It won't be a choice of this or that. Actually, it will be a joy to us. It will be a natural response. So much so that actually, if we're not actively seeking God's kingdom, we need to question are we really trusting Jesus? And at times, the truth is, we are all tempted to put our hope in other things because life is busy and we all get tired. And rather than actively seeking the kingdom of God, what we find we end up doing, the easier route is we become passive and we maybe seek comfort and entertainment. These things don't require any investment. Now, if you're in this place this morning, then the first thing you need to do again, or maybe for the first time, is to see and experience God's incredible grace. Seek his kingdom, cry out to him and ask him that he would again show you this, that he would open the eyes of your heart again, that maybe even for the first time that you would see the truth, the magnitude of who Jesus is. Because money, stuff, the things this world has to offer do not compare when we understand in a greater fullness what Jesus has achieved for us at the cross. Pray again that he would pour his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit. And we know that if we do this, that he will. As Jesus said in Luke 9.13, not, sorry, Luke 11, 9-13 that we looked at a few weeks ago. He says this, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So let's be tenacious in seeking the kingdom of God, in knocking and asking him to give us more evidence of his kingdom in our lives. Okay, let's turn back to the passage from today. And we're going to read uh, verse 24. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? So, this is the second reason that Jesus gives us that we shouldn't be worried about earthly things because if God feeds the ravens then we know that he's going to feed us because we are of far greater value so how do we know apart from Jesus says that we're of far greater value well we read all the way back in the first chapter of the bible in Genesis 1 that God created man in his image this is an honor that he has bestowed upon no other creature. He's not even bestowed this upon the angels, let alone birds and animals. Being made in his likeness gives all of us value, whether we follow him or not. And this ultimately, though, the value that Jesus places on us, that the Father places on us, is shown by Jesus' death 
at the cross to cover our sins. He paid the ultimate price, not to redeem ravens or to redeem animals. He paid the ultimate price to redeem us. So by this, we know how much he loves us and we know how highly he values us. So we don't need to worry about these other things. But of course, you might be worrying, uh, you might be thinking, there are Christians in this world today who are literally starving to death. How do you square that circle? And I think the answer to this is to actually ensure that we're reading this, uh, this, this book in its correct context. That being that what Jesus is doing here, he is pointing people, his primary purpose is to point people towards the eternal kingdom of God. This isn't a promise that we won't know hardship or suffering. Indeed, we know that Jesus suffered more than anyone in this room ever will. And we know that his disciples that he's speaking to, most of them died in order to, to bring glory to him. So what Jesus is saying is that no matter what situation we find ourselves in, even if it's one that leads to death, we can trust in God. He will look after you. His grace will be sufficient for you in any circumstance. And then in eternity, we will know his abundance in all its fullness. We've just got to keep our eyes fixed on his kingdom, and he will give us everything, everything that we need here and now. Okay, let's look back at verses 25 and 26. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a smaller thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Now here we have Jesus' third reason for us to not worry. Because we can't even add a single hour to our lives by doing so. So if throughout the course of your day, you regularly find yourself going down these kind of wormholes of, of anxiety, then this advice is most definitely for you. Worrying is a total waste of time. Every minute spent in anxiety, every minute spent in worry is a minute lost. It achieves nothing other than to drive you into further new levels of worry. But by complete contrast, as we see this morning, seeking God's kingdom is an investment that lasts forever. If we're trusting in Jesus, he gives us eternal life. And of course, if we're not wasting our time worrying, then actually we can be redeeming this time by bringing glory to him through trusting him, obeying him, spending time in his presence, sharing his lavish grace with those around us. In many ways, I think this is the biggest crime of worry. It turns our attention off the one who truly deserves it, and it takes our hope off the one who has power to save. And instead, we put our attention and we put our hope in ourselves. In many ways, we turn ourselves into our own idols in that we effectively try and take up the place of God, which is a weight that we cannot bear. It's a weight that will always crush us. This is why when we worry, 
certainly in my experience, is it can become so overwhelming. We don't have the power to protect ourselves from every situation that we may face. So when you feel worry rising up in your heart, this is a great verse to meditate on and to consider. I can either trust in the power of my worry, which will at best lead to wasted time. At worst, it will kind of lead me to believe that I'm in the place of God, or I can cast my worries on him, the one who is willing and able to give me all things. In this light, it should be an easy choice. Okay, let's read verses 27 and 28. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So this is the fourth reason that Jesus gives us not to worry, because if God looks after the lilies, which are so temporary then surely he'll look after you. Now, I could go to Yasmall this afternoon and I could spend my month's wages maybe on a, a Gucci shirt and a pair of Versace trousers and some Christian Dior aftershave. I don't know, these are probably all really 90s references for any young people, but they were the expensive things when I was young. And I could do that and I'd, I'd get myself dressed up and I'd look in the mirror, I'd be like, looking good. But the reality is, actually, I would not look or smell nearly half as good as a field of lilies. Now, in my case, admittedly, I've, I've not got too much to work with, but, but the same would be true of all of us. Like flowers in a field, we should be totally dependent upon God to give us everything we need to meet all of our needs. In fact, we should be even more dependent than those flowers because unlike these flowers, he has created us for eternity. So again, let's turn our focus off of ourselves, off of our appearance, and onto his kingdom. Okay, verses 29 to 31. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. So here we see the fifth reason not to worry, because God is our Father. And if we are living as his sons and his daughters, if we are seeking his kingdom, that means, then we will get everything we need. Now, I try my best to be a good father, but because I'm human, I sometimes come up short. I can at times lack patience. I can be inattentive. I can be selfish. I can be absorbed more with myself than my children. But despite my imperfections, whilst it's in my power, I will always try to provide for my children. And I'm sure the same is true for all parents who are here this morning. But that doesn't mean that I always give my children everything that they want, because sometimes my son, Oscar, what he wants to do, instead of go to school, is to sit in his pants on the PlayStation eating ice cream. Pants, underwear, sorry, depending on where you're from. That's what he wants to do, nothing more than that. 
He doesn't understand why the whole boring schooling thing is probably a better idea for him. I don't know, maybe, maybe he's got a point, but, but I think, I certainly hope that more often than not, my judgment is pretty good when it comes to deciding what my children need rather than what they want. Because when I make decisions for them, they're not based on the kind of instant gratification, but I try to, to make my decisions based on what is best for them in the long term. But like I say, I am far from perfect and often I'll get this wrong. But our Father, God, is the perfect Father. He knows exactly what we need. He knows exactly when we need it. And he will always give it to us at that time. It may not align with what we want. It may not align with what we expect. But we can trust that in the light of eternity, his plan of provision for us will always be better than the one that we make for ourselves. And as we read in these verses, we just need to seek his kingdom and then the rest, we can be assured, will be added to us. It is so comforting to know that he is not just our father, knowing how much we love our children, but he is our perfect father, infinitely greater, infinitely more loving, infinitely wiser than any human father. Okay, let's read verses 32. Verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Okay, this is the, the sixth reason that Jesus gives us not to worry, because giving us our eternal inheritance brings pleasure to God, who again is reiterated as our father. Now, I know some people really struggle with this. They think of God the Father as being angry. And you can imagine that Jesus somehow appeased God the Father on the cross. But really, when we receive grace from him, we receive it in a kind of begrudging manner. For us to receive our eternal inheritance from God, we can kind of feel like it's just him keeping his end of the deal. But he's not happy about it. He's just doing it because of what Jesus did. Now, this could not be further from the truth. Probably the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, tells us this. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He loved us this much before Jesus went to the cross. He loved us this much, in fact, that Jesus went to the cross for us. In that moment, God the Father and God the Son knew separation from each other. This is a cost that nobody in this room can ever truly understand. So we can know that he will not withhold anything from us if it's for our good. And as it says here, receiving this incredible inheritance of eternity spent with him brings him pleasure it is his pleasure for us to receive his kingdom. This is amplified in Revelation 21 from verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, 
prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. He is our father who longs to wipe away our tears, who longs to take away our pain. He wants to dwell with us for eternity. He wants us to live in his house. He loves us, as I've said, more than any father on earth loves their son. He wants to spend eternity with us. We have nothing, nothing to fear. So just to recap, Jesus has given us six reasons that we're not to worry about earthly things. Because life is more than food and clothing. It's about his kingdom. Because if God feeds the ravens, we know he will feed us who are of far greater value. Because worrying will not even add a single hour to our life. Because if God looks after the lilies, which are temporary, then of course he's going to look after us. Because God is our perfect father and he will give us what we need. And because it gives God pleasure to bring grace, to pour his grace upon us. So how then should we respond? Well, as we've been instructed, we should stop worrying and we should seek his kingdom. So what does this actually look like practically? Well, I think the answer is in the remaining verses, verses 33 and 34. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now this is challenging. If we're trusting in God to provide us for us, if we're truly seeking his kingdom, our lives should be characterized first and foremost by generosity to others. And I think we can read this, give away your stuff, and and we can kind of think like it's an instruction from Jesus. It's like a a rule. Okay, so in order to to get this, you need to, to give away your stuff. And it makes us think, well, I kind of like my stuff. I don't, I don't really want to do that. We can process it in our minds. So Jesus is saying to us, I've given generously to you, so therefore you must go and give generously to others. And it's kind of a way of, of paying me back, only in a small bit, but it's a, a way of paying me back. As though our generosity is primarily intended to benefit others 
and as a way of saying thanks to God. But if you look at this verse closely, this is not Jesus' focus for why he's telling us to give away our possessions. The reason he gives for us to give away what we have is not primarily about helping others. The focus is on what it does for us. Because in the act of giving, and this is true, be it money or possessions or even of our time, in doing this, what we're doing is we are shunning what this world has to offer in favor of unfading eternal treasures. And in doing this, it will incline our hearts towards God, bring us more joy in serving him here and now. As the old saying goes, this isn't just pie in the sky when you die, this is cake on your plate while you wait. As we read in verse 34, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. When you give generously, the greatest recipient is you. You gain more joy in Jesus. You gain more reliance upon him and you will gain treasures that will never fade. So Grace Church, when we are tempted to worry, let's set our eyes, let's invest our lives on the weight of eternal glory that is to come, knowing that as we do so, Jesus will provide us with everything that we need to bring maximum glory to him and maximum joy to us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you pour out your love, your grace, your mercy to us in abundance. We will never be short of these things. And I pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts, Lord, you would help us to become more dependent upon you and less dependent on upon our ability to provide for ourselves. I just ask that Holy Spirit would you pour your love into our hearts. We would know that we are sons and daughters. Anyone here this morning that is struggling to see themselves in this way, I pray that you would pour your love into their heart and that they would see you in greater measure. They would understand more of who you are and what you've done. I just ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.